Welcome to another round of Boardroom or Miro Board. Today we talk retrospectives with Agile coach Maria. Let's go. First question. You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or Miro Board? Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously, online at the same time. Correct. Next. You need the team to act on feedback fast, so you turn all those retro notes into JIRA tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this. Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player, Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome into Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network. Mac McDonald with the one, the only Ralph Sampson. Ralph, uh, great to see you. A lot to cover today. We've got a great guest. Ricky Horton is going to be with us, a former pitcher with the St. Louis Cardinals. He had a cup of coffee with the Dodgers. He used to uh, manage, coach a little bit, and uh, now he's with the, the St. Louis broadcast team. On top of that, uh, very, very involved with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So this ought to be pretty good. But my question for you, I know you had the knee thing and you had knee surgery. Did you ever, ever separate a shoulder? Ever. No, man, I'm glad I'm glad you're healthy at this point. <laughs> uh, separated shoulder, but I never have uh, ever separated shoulder. Now, when I have my knee injury, I feel like I, you know, have popped a, a, something out of the joint and then yeah. we popped it back in, but then my cartilage was torn, but very painful. So how are you doing? And I know you <laughs> had a little incident over the weekend and all the good stuff as well. It but was so go, stupid. Go, going back to Ricky, though, before I forget. Uh, yeah, so yeah. St. Louis is my favorite baseball team. Tom uh, LaRusa, you know, Ozzy Smith was one of my good friends. I actually need to call him up and we'll get him on as well. But it used to be my favorite, favorite baseball team. But, yeah, you know, we'll get back to the shoulder injury. But that, that's, <laughs> well, I go back good. a little further with with Lou Brock and Stan Musial. So there anyway, you go. just to, there you and, go. and right. Joe, you know, and, uh, and of course, Joe Buck's father, Jack Buck, who was one of the great yes, announcers yes. of all time. Uh, I don't believe what I just saw. I don't believe what I just saw. Anyway, the Kurt Gibson home run. He was to me. Yeah, I, I just ended up, I tripped in the garage and separated a shoulder and broke a bone. And doctors and nurses are amazing. The technology is amazing. But what's more amazing is the paperwork just to get in and get out. <laughs> That's kind that of, took forever. I, it, so anyway, it's all it's all good. But it just shows we got to go deeper at this position. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, anyway, it's, it's really good. But with, with, with baseball season right around the corner and the, the labor unrest, I guess, and Ricky told us, and I'll just state this, Ricky told us he can't talk about the lockout 
but we're going to get into baseball labor and the structure of baseball labor, which ought to be good. And also his involvement with, uh, with the fellowship of Christian athletes, which, which ought to be, ought to be really yeah, good. Yeah. Good guy to do that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I went back after our last week. I just want to talk about this briefly after last week's show with Dave and Grady and the Lynn bias podcast, I went back to watch the 30 for 30 and it might oh, even yeah. not have been called 30 for 30 at that time, but the Lynn bias documentary. Yes. Um, unbiased, I guess, was what they called yes, yes. like that. Ralph, there were a lot of details I've forgotten, especially about his family and mm-hmm. things that I just forgot. It was an amazing documentary. Yeah, everybody should watch it. I mean, I, I reflected back. I, I went back and started to read some more. I haven't looked at the documentary, but I'm going to. But the family story, as you already rec- uh, recollect and said, and the, but also his, his demeanor on the court. You know, with, with Lefty, I mean, I mean, one of the, yeah. the greatest coaches of all time, but it was very, very special. Yeah. Coach Holland and Lefty were such good friends. And yes. then when that, I think Lefty was there, what, 17 years or something like that. And then when Lefty right. called the, that he's got to get out of here um, after Dick Dahl, the athletic director. And so administratively, it was just an absolute mess as well. But uh, anyway, uh, that's why you can go back and you can go to Spotify, by the way. And uh, thanks to all our radio stations too every Sunday for letting us carry these wonderful stories because we have had a bundle. Uh, I will say publicly and uh, Frank Wild at our Harrisonburg station, Frank, you're going to smile when I say this. If Jeff Bourne will ever call us back, the, <laughs> the, the AD, <laughs> the AD spot, yes. at JMU, uh, we have a little thing, a couple things to talk about. So if you're in Harrisonburg right now, you know Jeff Bourne. Tell Jeff we were talking about him. He owes us Big time. an he email and a phone call. call. <laughs> he does. He owes us a call back. So well, I, I, he doesn't call back. I'm going to go see his wife. His wife was much chillier in high school. So I will go knock on her door, like, okay, great. Uh, oh, we need your husband to be on a call. So I, I know I know where our office is now. So I'm gonna okay. do that. That's perfect. All right. Well, we'll go to break when we come back. Ricky Horton is gonna be with us. He joined Virginia in 1980, had a couple of great seasons in college, but moved on with the Cardinals and a couple of memorable World Series, in, including one of the most controversial World Series of uh, of all time in 1985 of the Royals, that interstate series in Missouri. So we got a lot to cover. We'll do it when we come back. This is Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. To get into sportscasting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one. Full Sail University, great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together. When you, when you lose, it, it stinks right away. That's how I would say it about, about competition because the, the winning just kind of puts you into this zone of, of, of competition that, that really transcends your feelings. And there are times where, uh, you know, it's weeks later where you realize, oh, my goodness, I was in the World Series or we did this or that, or that happened. And, and so I know that feeling, but the, but the sting happens right away. You just feel down. And hold the phone. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. 
Once again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome in. It's Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. And Ralph, we are just uh, so pleased to have this guy. And uh, was an outstanding pitcher at the University of Virginia. He played his college baseball with the Cavs. And he was a, he was a left-hander and crafty, Ralph. He was really, he <laughs> was really good. And, yeah, you, we used to watch him. And, uh, uh, and then, of course, followed his career with St. Louis. He was drafted by the Cardinals in fourth round of the 80 amateur draft. And then his first major league hit. Who else? Nolan Ryan. I mean, come on, Ricky. How good was that, huh? What is yeah, that? that's usually the first thing I lead with anytime I meet somebody. And, uh, you know, why wouldn't you? Yeah. You know, I, I still remember that moment. And honestly, the funny thing about that hit, I was, you know, what, 23 years old, uh, my third at bat in the big leagues. I'm up against the guy throwing 98 miles an hour. Uh, it was like a 17 hopper up the middle. But the cool part about it is the next three guys struck out. I kind of no. had the chest, chest pumping up a little bit as I went in. I said, hey, guys, this guy's not that tough. You must have made Nolan mad. <laughs> well, I tried to – I had to be careful about that. It's funny. My parents called me uh, after the game, and, of course, I'm, you know, I, I don't know about bragging about it, Ralph, but I certainly was pretty excited about it. And they said, why don't you go ask him to sign it? And I said, no, <laughs> he's going to hit me the next time. I don't exactly, exactly. Oh, uh, the great Nolan Ryan, no, I, I, I met him when I was in Houston as well. But that's a great story, but coming from – you had to go into majors and hit against Nolan Ryan. Not too many people did that. Yeah, and I wasn't a very good hitter. You know, I, I really wasn't. I, I bunted more than I did anything else as a pitcher. And, you know, as you said, Mac, I was crafty, yeah. which, you know, it. You know, every sport has its little lingo, but in right. baseball, that means I threw slow. I mean, that's really <laughs> basically what that means. I didn't mean I didn't that, but yeah. I didn't power anybody. But I had to kind of, you know, trick them a little and, and, you know, change speeds and all that stuff. So I was, you know, I kind of bounced around enough and, and was on good teams and, very thankful for the career I had and, and for the most part stayed healthy. And, you know, that of course is a big thing in sports. Mike, my, my, my thing about pitchers against pitchers, right? So you would think a pitcher could hit another pitcher because they know they're psychic and their emotions, whatever, but that's not the way it goes, right? They, it really doesn't. I mean, honestly, there's, there's knowledge is part of it. You know, you know, you know that too, Ralph. I mean, knowledge is part of it, but then there's the skill to be able to do it. So I may know what he's doing, but, the reality is I got to get this bad head into that zone. And so one of the things we always talk about on, on, on broadcast is it's less than a half a second from when the ball leaves your hand. Right. till you've got to hit the ball. So yeah. less than a half a second of reaction time, you know, where's the ball going? Does it have spin on it? And so, you know, I, I, I shudder to think about what that time would have been Ralph, if you would have pitched and by I, I the pitch, way, I pitch a little bit, but I'm gonna come back I, to that story. Well, I, here's what I recall, and and you may not remember this, but I sure do. <laughs> uh, at UVA, because you were the year behind me at UVA, I remember one day the rumor about the baseball team is that you were gonna tr you were gonna come to fall baseball and see if you could pitch. Do you, you did you contemplate that? Maybe your yeah. maybe your second year at UVA. Coach Holland didn't like it, but yeah, we, 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 <laughs> I'm sure he didn't. I'm sure he didn't. But we, I was, I was, we were pretty amped up about that. Honestly, we thought that would be a fun thing to to see. And I could just imagine you releasing the ball about about five feet from home plate, and that reaction time would have been slow. You wouldn't have had to throw it hard, Ralph. You just had to just have a good long motion. As the story goes, I, I, I love baseball before I love basketball. And I was a pitcher in baseball in the Little League in Harrisonburg, right? Yeah. And I, and I have an uncle that played in the minors. He was pretty good, but in local stuff, Barstow was that play. He pitched as well. So I threw sidearm. And, uh, at, but they didn't expect me to grow that tall every year. But I threw sidearm where the ball would come in and would curve on the right hand yes. batters. And it, it, it was pretty good. 
Well, a year later, the ball stopped curving and started hitting, <laughs> hitting players. <laughs> moving to first base, then moving to outfield. I said, this is for the birds. There's no action out here in the left field, so I'm going to basketball. Interesting. I got to say, you know, my favorite sport was basketball. So what I, you know, I, and when I was a young guy growing up in New York, my dream was to be Walt Frazier. He was my oh, favorite yeah. player with it. Yeah, I, yeah, I just, I mean, still, if I had a chance to meet Walt Frazier, I'd be tongue tied, man. I just, <laughs> he was just bigger than life for me. I wanted to be Walt Frazier. And the only thing stopping me was ability. But the, but what happened along the way is I worked really hard to be a okay high school basketball player. I mean, I worked really hard to do it. And then once that ran out, that hard work ethic transferred to baseball, yeah. which I always, I still credit basketball and the hard work of basketball because I loved it in, in, in teaching me to get to that next level as a pitcher. 1980, I pull on the grounds. I'm a week away from the football opener and I go by and there's Ralph playing softball with Jeff Lamp and Lee Raker and all those guys. And I went, Oh my God, that's Ralph Sampson. Uh, you know, and that was my introduction. And Terry Allen says, you got a glove. And I said, yeah. So I ended up playing softball. I was in awe. And I was so intimidated by Ralph and Lee, but that's what that program was at that time. Terrific basketball team. I love watching Jeff Lamp was my year. Terrific player, exciting player. Raker could flat out shoot. And, you yeah. know, it was really fun to watch the, the growth of Virginia basketball. Actually, a, a Virginia basketball player, Scott McCandlish, is the reason I went to UVA in the first place. He oh, was how about back that? Barry Parkhill and, yeah. and Wally Walker era. But he was from my hometown, and 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 he his dad said, "Hey, you ought to you ought to look at UVA. It's a wonderful school as an athlete." Uh, I got to say, when Ralph, I, I I'm going to embarrass you a bit here, Ralph. But when you were uh, being recruited to come to UVA, and that when that whole process, that I, I can't tell you unless you you being there, being there and watching the campus get so excited about uh, having such a, a big time recruit to come to UVA, you really changed the landscape of of sports at Virginia and, and, and set, set the bar. Uh, but I remember walking into you, literally bumping into you at the bookstore on the corner. I was wow. buying books and I forgot one. And I turned around, I, this is what I, the story I tell, I turned around and I bumped into you and I was looking at you right about chest high. And I thought, Holy cow. So that was, I, I literally bumped into you. And, uh, and I that? thought, you know, honestly, a Ralph Sampson sighting. And again, not embarrassing you, but it's just a fact of the culture of UVA uh, in the uh, in the late '70s, early '80s, a Ralph Sampson sighting was a it, say. Hey, I saw him going over to the towards the yeah. rotunda. It, it it was a bigger deal than if Thomas Jefferson himself would have been descending the steps of the rotunda. If somebody yeah. said, "Yeah, I saw Thomas Jefferson yesterday." It's like, yeah, but I saw Ralph Sampson. <laughs> Honestly, that was the way it was at UVA. And I, and again, that's not that's not flattery. It's just a fact. And I just think you have a lot to be proud of, Ralph, for what uh, you did to build into that school, the community, and of course, the game of basketball as a whole. Well, coming from a baseball player to major leagues, I really appreciate those comments because I, you know, I never thought of, about that at UVA. I just try to be a normal student as much as I could. And I rode the bus in my freshman year and I had a car next year because of my mom and dad and said, you need something because I had a lot more going on. But as Mike know, we had, we had fun playing softball. We had fun. Yeah. And you know University Hall, right? So yeah, everybody's practicing in the same space or the cage or the weight room. So we had a different camaraderie, I think, than the days of athletes as well. But I really appreciate those comments. Uh, our mutual friend, Doug Elgin, of course, the, the sports information director at the time, would call me and he goes, uh, how would you like to have lunch with Bill Russell? Uh, how would you like to have lunch with Brent Musburger today? 
uh, you know, how would you like to meet Curry, you know, Curry Kirkpatrick of Sports Illustrated? It's a ton that nobody realized with uh, centered around one athlete. And I know Ralph blushes and doesn't like to hear it, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but it was, it was crazy for a lot of us. And I think a lot of us were, you know, those were days, Ricky, that we'll never forget. And I'm sure you guys are going out to practice what probably in January, right. To get ready for, you know, for your season in February and March, and you're coming by and probably stopping by getting your role at the cage and then walking in and watching the guys practice. Right. Well, what we would do at, at, at UVA, and this was a, a, a typical thing, is is we would have our practice, and sometimes it would be inside at, at U-Haul in the big open area. Yeah. And when the practice was over, it might be four hours before tip-off. And think about the ACC basketball at that time. I mean, just oh, the yeah. great players, not just the UVA players, but, I mean, you got the Carolina guys, and, you know, I, you can't even start the list. There's so many. And, and so it was – you know, it was just exciting, top-notch basketball to watch. So what we would do is, is we were allowed if we stayed in the gym to just to get stay in the for front the game. Row. So we yep, would stay yep, in yep. the front row, and I'd have my books with me. I guess I was studying. I'm not sure. <laughs> you least, open the book, least, it'll page five. And I just had now. the books okay. out. <laughs> at least I was going to say, sounded like a prop to me. Yeah, it might have been a prop. <laughs> yeah, you might be right. You got, you got me figured out. But but anyway, we we're in the first row and and saw some. Just you know, Buck Williams and and Maryland and and, and Spinarkle and just so many great players. Jaminski and mm -hmm. Clay and of course again the, the guys from uh, UNC. But it, it just it was really spectacular uh, time to be a, a college student at UVA. So they in the gym at University Hall three hours before the game, right? <laughs> practicing on the court. <laughs> you know that we're going to yeah. play on the day. The day that would not happen, right? No. Would not happen. And then yeah. they were able to stay. And watch the game and just kind of mix it in with the with the student athletes, right? So it's kind of crazy. So that's the camaraderie I was talking about before yes. that we don't and, have and in college sports today. And as you know, Ralph, that was an important part of the university life. That was that yes, was absolutely. Us, which I think I think helped me, and I would assume you'd feel the same way. And as you get into a into headier stuff, and of course you got the big heady stuff and with your basketball career in the NBA, but um, you know just to be a regular guy. And, yep, and yep. not regular. I mean, you're you're you're. No, it's a community. It was good. It's, it's Everybody's perfect. achiever. You're around a lot of other achievers. Yep, but the absolutely. idea is not that you know we we can't just have fun together and we work sure. hard, but we have fun together. And I think that was that was kind of the way it was. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. They sent me a plane flight, the hotel to go to, and that was it. So I showed up in St. Petersburg, Florida. Didn't have any money. But I was a professional baseball player in a hotel uh, looking for a place to play. So I walked to the stadium. Uh, no one knew who I was. Found uh, the manager, and he said, okay, we'll have a uniform for you tomorrow. Just uh, watch the game. So that's what I did. The scooter, the barber, and the nuke. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball star Ralph Sampson. Mickey and the Duke. Welcome back on the Winter Circle Network, and this is Center Court, Ralph Sampson, Mac McDonald, and Ricky Horton, former Cavan, uh, drafted by the St. Louis Cars in the fourth round of the 1980. Ricky, I remember a story, and I was going through some, some videos over the last couple of days, but I remember the story you told about when you got drafted, ended up in St. Petersburg, and you had nothing. <laughs> you, had, you had nothing, right, when you got nothing. drafted? I, nope, and, and I was just – I was happy to be a – I mean, that's the one thing about baseball is you, 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 you're kind of at the top, you get drafted and then you just start at the bottom again. Yeah. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're in the minor leagues and you've got to figure out how yep. to get better than guys that are throwing harder than you and, and older than you. And so, you know, I didn't have the best of starts uh, as a minor league player had to kind of persevere through that. And, 
uh, learned some things along the way. The, you know, I think the, uh, the, the, the inventions that came up for me, the learning how to throw a better slider and a change up and all that. But, you know, it just was kind of the minor league life also is kind of just, you know, you're, you're just trying to get by financially too. I mean, and that's part of what you're saying too, is I, I actually spent a lot of time teaching uh, the teammate, uh, some of my teammates, the Latin American teammates are teaching them English. I knew just enough Spanish to be dangerous, but you know, you kind of start with the bad words in baseball because you can't. <laughs> but we became really good friends and that, and they were, they would kind of take care of me and give me some meals and all that. And it was, so it was kind of like a, just a wonderful relationship. And, and uh, you know, I kind of got, you know, into a situation was not only helping them, but certainly helping me. What an experience that must've been. How much was your minor league contract worth? Set, well, when I, my first year in the minor leagues, I was making $700 a month. Set, okay. Oh. Now, we're also making that for five months. So my total salary, my first year in the minor leagues was 3,000, whatever that is. 3,500 yeah, $3, a year. Yeah. And so again, at the time I, I would never, I would not for a second have said I was complaining about it because right. it just, you know, you're just happy to being a, being a professional. I was drafted in the fourth round, fortunately. So I got a signing bonus, which helped. And so I, I, I'm not, hundred percent sure what that was, but it was about twenty thousand dollars. I think so. I so I got a something at least to 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 buy some groceries and and to be able to have a car and drive some people around too. But it's an interesting life in the minor leagues, and um, of course that's part of the reason everybody's itching to get to the big leagues, which usually takes three or four years. And honestly, I, I think the last time I heard the stats, it's it's four percent of guys that play professionally actually make it to the big leagues. You get this contract and you're in, on a team of 25 guys, there's, you know, there's a couple of you that's going to make it. And that's about it. I know, Mac, I went to the San Diego Padres uh, with Peter Seiler a number mm -hmm. of years ago to their training camp, uh, spring training in uh, Phoenix. I was amazed. I mean, he, then we talked to the team, but today is a little bit different, but it reflects back to what you said, Ricky, and as far as the culture, the language, the language barrier today, I had to go in and do a seminar and I had to have interpreters talk to the kids about different things, but you got kids that get a million dollar contract in the minor leagues, but they never make, they never make it to the majors. Um, and they may be from South America somewhere. It's kind of right. a crazy. It's, it's, it's it blew my mind. How many players come They had 250 players in camp. It's crazy. It's a lot of people. You've got four number 99s over there. The yes, corner. yes, yes. Who's who. And, you know, honestly, it's one of the things I've always loved about baseball and, and you, I mean, you kind of go in this direction for a second, but Baseball, you know, even you think back to Jackie Robinson and his effect of, of, of being uh, the first African-American to play Major League Baseball and, and kind of him being a leader. And he was the first African-American broadcaster, by the way, uh, in, in, in baseball history. Mm -hmm. So Jackie Robinson's legacy is part of that. But it's also, you know, Latin players and now players from, from Japan and, and from Korea. And baseball is becoming a real it's real. When you play a World Series now, it really yes, is a World Series. It means World Series, series. yeah. It's absolutely. not just a yep. you know white American series. It's a World Series, and and I I love that about baseball. I think baseball is a is a great uh, a place of diversity and even socioeconomic, and even within guys in the in the U.S. you play, and of course basketball is the same way. But East Coast, West Coast, Florida, where, wherever you might be, you learn about your own country and you learn about the world and learn languages and all that. I just love that about baseball. I think it's a leveling thing because at the end of the day is, uh, can you hit or can you get somebody out or can you mm -hmm. catch the ball? And, you know, there's no socioeconomic barrier that's going to stop somebody. Once you get that chance to play, if you can play, you can play.
That's awesome. I, mean, I think stuff. I think you own us there, man, because I yeah. think the NBA playoffs should be the world world championship instead of the <laughs> yeah. NBA playoffs. Because you got all kinds of foreign guys playing Certainly. on every team. So uh, I do like that. Maybe we have to call Adam Silver and, and, yeah, and talk about that. Because that's, that's the way it should be. I like that. Absolutely. That. And to steal a scene out of uh, out of Bull Durham when Newt gets called and gets to the show, Ricky, what was it like? Take us through the day, the moment mm-hmm. when you get the call and say, hey, you're going to the big league club. It was actually a funny moment. I was in, it was in Florida and uh, last day of spring training and the, the right before I, I pitched the last day and me and another left-handed pitcher. And we knew it was kind of down between me and him to make the team or not. Wow. And Dave Von Olin is his name. And, and uh, one of the coaches Kate pulled me into the bat room, kind of just this, almost this cave kind of area. And he said, I want you to know that uh, if you pitch well today, you make the team. And <laughs> no, and, pressure, and no pressure, no pressure, no pressure. <laughs> but, but he said, look, Whitey felt like it would be better to tell you because if you can't handle that, you probably shouldn't be here anyway. Yeah, Which so I, I appreciated that. So the funny part about it is both he and I pitched and both of us pitched really well. We pitched <laughs> against the Reds and it was, there was some old school Reds in that lineup and I, Tony Perez and, and Pete Rose and Concepcion. It was very wow. kind, of, kind of old names of, of, of Reds history. So it was very elevating experience. So we come back after the game, we get back to Al Lang Stadium in St. Pete. Nobody said, tells me anything. So I'm kind of waiting for you did or you didn't. Yeah. I got nothing, nothing going on. So I, everybody's leaving. They're gone. And from, and, and we break in camp, we are going to the next morning, we're going to fly to St. Louis or I'm flying to Louisville, Kentucky. And so I asked Andy Van Slyke, who was a good friend of mine. I said, Hey, what's up? What do I do? He said, you need to go in and talk to Whitey Herzog. I need to go ask him. I said, I, okay, I guess I, I guess I will. So I walk into Whitey Herzog's office and he comes around the corner. He'd just gotten out of the shower. And I'll, I'll try to explain this. Nice <laughs> no, no, that's can. an image. We got it. <laughs> He's got it. Just, and he had a towel in his hand and he was cleaning his ear with it. Okay. So, so, so this is the moment that I've been waiting for my whole life. So when a naked middle-aged manager tells me, I, Oh yeah, yeah. Kid, you made the team. I said, thank you. And I took off. <laughs> so I go out to the parking lot and I think, well, at least, I get a chance to tell my wife who is waiting for me all this time, dutifully out in the parking lot. And I get to tell her that I made it to the big leagues and I came out and she had a smile on her face. And she says, yeah, Dave LaPointe already told me you made the team. (laughs) I didn't even get to tell her. So, but it was, but honestly, it was just a a miraculous thing. Dodger stadium was uh, a road game for us. Our first game there and just standing on the line, you know, opening day, opening day ceremonies are very mm. special in, in all sports, but, you know, baseball, great tradition of it. I mean, it just, it just brings tears to your eyes to think about the moment and what went into that moment. And when I'm broadcasting, one of the things I always say is when a guy gets his first chance of playing in the big leagues, this is not just about him. It's about his high school coach. Right. It's about his next door neighbor. It's about his kid who was his buddy in first grade. Sure. It's about his teammates in high school and all the teammates you had in Harrisonburg and I had in Hyde Park, New York. I mean, it, it's a it's a group thing. Yeah. Our good friend Dave Odom, who we, we had on a couple of months ago, but Dave wrote a book called The End Is Not the Trophy. And he yeah. talks about the journey. Yeah. And, and that journey includes hard work. It includes sacrifice. It includes, you know, it includes a lot of things. And sure. and includes vision and, and, and figuring out how do I get from A to, how do I get better? And, and you know, part of getting better is you, you've got to, you got to understand that you have limitations and you've got to figure out how to get through that and either get better at those or cover those or be better at something else. I mean, you've got to find a way to, 
you know, continuous improvement. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. Be a better version of myself tomorrow than I was yesterday. And, and that's, that's, you know, you and I, but between segments, we're talking about a friend of a mutual friend of ours, mm-hmm. Sammy Beal, who was one of our uh, coaches at UVA. I played for Jim West and Dennis Womack. Sammy and I were great friends. And so Sammy got into a running kick one year at UVA. And I believe it was my second year. It was Ralph's freshman year and he was into running. So he wanted all the pitchers to run a lot. And I'd never done that before. So he comes to practice and he says, okay, what we're going to do after practice is we're all going to go, you all the pitchers, we want you to go on a four mile run <laughs> and, and you're going to end up down at the, uh, and the trail in the back. Yeah. And right. You know, well, we you know, we're ending up, we're ending up by the, by mincers down at, yes, down at yes. the corner. So, and he was going to pick us up and bring us back. A couple of people were going to pick us up and bring us back to, and he had clocked it out to be four miles. So I, we started running and I'd never run more than a mile at that time in my life. And so I went about a quarter of a mile and me and another pitcher, Ken Smithers said, you know, I got to let's get an idea. I, I, I think we can get there faster. So we both hitchhiked. <laughs> we, we, we're running out on the highway and, and we're headed towards downtown and, and we are down towards the corner and we put our thumbs out. We get on the back of a truck, go all, and they takes us to that area. We get off, splash water on our face and pretend we ran four miles. So, so I'm not proud of that moment, guys, let me tell you. But what I remember about that is when I came back and when you took the shower and I'm getting ready to go back and I'm looking in the mirror, I didn't like what I saw because I realized I cheated myself. I yep. cheated my coaches. I cheated my teammates. And I, I was so bothered by that, that when I went back to my uh, apartment that night, I asked my roommate to go running with me and I was going to run as long as I could run. And he and I together both ran six miles. Wow. I, I didn't think I could do four, but I did six. And, and I think that's the kind of lessons that I think I, I learned in, in high school sports. And sports is a great uh, place to learn life lessons about perseverance and hard work and all those things. And uh, again, I'm just grateful that I had good coaches and good teachers that inspired me along those lines. And, and so that was one of those aha moments. We, I think we all have that. I mean, I had yes. it with baseball and trying to play and I couldn't play. And then I got tired with basketball. Then I got good. But it, it seemed like that's one of them aha mo- moments you had in your career that said, I didn't like the way I looked in the mirror and I yes. wanted more. So yes. is there other ones or is that the main one? Well, that, that's a, that's a great one. I mean, I, I think, I think the, um, that's the biggest one that I can think of. I mean, I, I, I think the, the aha moments, you know, I think happened younger where I would be on a team where I wasn't a very good player, let's say, and on a basketball team and I wasn't one of the stars. And, and yet, you know, I realized, okay, how to be a teammate there. And then you become a player that's kind of a lead player. I think it's important for athletes and, and aha moments come from that when you're not the best player on the team. And, and right. you know, you, you're, you're, you're Ralph Sampson, but when you're Ralph Sampson playing baseball, you're, you're just one of the guys. And there's, there's a guy throwing harder or hitting the ball farther. And that's probably good for you as an athlete to, to learn what, what team sports are all about. So I think that was a collection of aha moments for me uh, when I was younger, but certainly you know, I, I had one at UVA that that also sticks out that I was going to pitch against University of North Carolina. Uh, and uh, the bus came to the ballpark. I was pitching. It was there were 4000 people there, which for baseball at the time, mm-hmm. it was more than five people. That was a lot. Right. Fact, usually <laughs> there'd be about three. And, and, and two of them were, were different girlfriends of one of them. <laughs> they had to kind of sit in different areas. But, but the point is, nobody came out to watch us play. But at North Carolina, there were 4,000 people. 
and I forgot my contact lenses. So I went to the coach and I said, I'm going to get James, our bus driver. He's going to, and I talked to him, going to drive back, get my contact lens so I can pitch. And he said, don't worry about it. You're not pitching. <laughs> and, and I said, no, I could, I, I had plenty of time to get, go back. And he said, no, you're not ready. You're not pitching. So wow. I lost an opportunity yeah. to pitch a high leverage game in front of a lot of scouts because I wasn't prepared. So you can be pretty sure that every time after that, all my years through playing in, in the big leagues, I did the head to toe thing. And, and, I, and I'm telling you, I went over that seven times to make sure I didn't make that mistake again. It's just numbers. Well, the numbers say it. Well, you know, the numbers can say whatever you want them to say based on how you weight the variables. And so I've always thought that about war and a lot of the stats that we have out there. You know, in fact, war, war for one thing, devalues pitchers that know how to get outs without strikeouts. That would be my, my point on that. If you look at Greg Maddox, he does not, you know, he doesn't show as well because he wasn't a strikeout guy, but man, the dude could pitch. Watching it from the fence. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome back, Winner's Circle Network, Center Court. Rick Horton is our guest. Ralphie played uh, in, what, three World Series, I think, 85, and then uh, uh, the 87 World Series of the Cardinals. But the 85 series had everything in the world going for it. There were records, but it was two teams from the same state playing in playing a, an interstate series. But Rick, game six turned into a game seven debacle. What, tell us about the 85 series and what it what that meant to you. Well, it was an amazing moment to get a chance to play on. I mean, every kid dreams if you're a baseball enthusiast, you don't want to just, you want to play in the big leagues, but then you want to be in a World Series. I mean, that's that's the pinnacle is, is to have that moment. And, you know, we always used to say, and, and I had the opportunity to be in three of them, but being in the, in the playoffs before that was more pressure than actually getting into the World Series because you want to be in the World Series so badly. Mm -hmm. And yes, you want to win, but getting to the World Series again is just, you know, big check mark in terms of, your career. So uh, the, the series itself, uh, we didn't think we were going to play Kansas City. We thought we were going to play, uh, I guess, it was the Tigers at the time, better team. But we ended up playing uh, Kansas City and um, they were just on fire. They were great. And, and we had a, the moment in, the, in that particular World Series that's become somewhat famous in game six, where there was a play at first base where uh, there, my, my, my teammate and friend Todd Worrell was yep. on the bag. They didn't say he was. And, 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 and that would have had, had that plague been called correctly, we probably would have won the World Series. And, you know, it was just interesting to see how we self-destructed after that. Several things we could have done better to overcome it. And, and for a team that overcame a lot of things, we weren't able to overcome that. And then game seven uh, just got worse. Uh, and uh, the Royals ended up winning the World Series. So, uh, you know, we came close and we're still nationally champions. But uh, that, that, that series is still... Uh, Cardinal fans Iconic. talk about that all the time. All the time. Tell you. Yeah. So I remember that series, obviously, because, you know, the thing about baseball for me is knowing that, you know, it's October, uh, I could smell basketball around the corner. So <laughs> I, I watched baseball during the year, but I watched it obviously through the playoffs in the, in the World Series as well, because I knew ba basketball season was just right there, right? But also, you mentioned that I could smell it in the air when basketball time was coming, but that type of situation, 
even trying to get to the playoffs and wanting to play in the, in, in the World Series or the NBA Finals, it's kind of that's what you that's what you strive to do, right? But what are the life lessons when you don't make it that you that you took back the next year and try to get there the next year? Yeah, it's a great question because it, it often gives you motivation. You just say, "Look, I, I want I had a taste of that. Yeah. And I want more of that." And 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 I think it's important to not say that in terms of. Maybe it's better to say we had a taste of that and we right. want to do that again. And because I think honestly, you know, you get to that level in a, in a team sport and you better be a team or you probably don't right. get there. So, so it is an us thing. And, and, and those guys, Ralph and, and Mac, those guys from that 85, they're my friends today. I mean, there yep. several of them are, I'm very close to them and, uh, and have had just ongoing longtime friendships with them. And, and I think, you know, you have a shared experience. That's part of this camaraderie that we've been talking about. And, so we certainly had that in 85. We, we end up getting back in 87, uh, but, uh, and also lost that World Series. But, uh, you know, it, you try to find a place to, to put it where you say, you know, did we do everything we could do to, to win? And did we just get beat? Because sometimes that happens too, as, as we all know. I mean, you, you, you want to feel good at the end of the day that your effort collectively uh, was good. And if you lose, you lose graciously, which right. I think is... An important part of sports. No, ah, good. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, Ricky, we we want to certainly cover this because your involvement with FCA uh, came yeah. in an early age uh, at the the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I know that's just literally been a big part of your life, and you're still involved in it now. What forty years later? Yeah, I went to my first FCA meeting in actually at UVA. A couple of people invited me to go, and I was not familiar with what that is. We didn't have it when I was uh, in high school gr growing up, and 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 honestly, just the, the the work of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes is really just to give uh, athletes and coaches a chance to connect in faith and the sport that they love, so they can figure out how do I play in a godly way, how do I coach in a godly way, and I think we can all agree that we, we need more of that in, in, in our, in our <laughs> yeah. sports culture. And, uh, but certainly for, for, for a young Christian trying to learn, where do I put this? You know, where do I put my faith when it comes to competition? And how do I, again, compete um, appropriately? And, and how do I lose graciously? How do I win gracefully? And, and how do I treat my team? All those things. And, and you know, honoring the authority of your coach and, and and, and just treating fans and everything is, is really, I think, comes into play. And, and I think it's important because the higher you go up the athletic rung, and if you're a high, college basketball player, you're already high up a rung. Baseball, not so much, but basketball for sure, mm -hmm. football for sure. And then, you know, you get to be a professional at whatever sport it is. That's your life. I mean, you're, you're, your life is so consumed with how do I get bigger, stronger, faster, that you need to have an outlet to, to, to grow socially, mentally, and spiritually. And on the spiritual side, FCA has been that for me and, and thousands of other people. It's just a wonderful organization. And when I came back to St. Louis, I got out of playing. I thought I was going to be a coach, coached in the minor leagues for a year with the, with the Cleveland Indians. And then just realized that I wanted to be more at home and uh, thought I'd be a college coach, but I ended up being the, uh, the director of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in St. Louis for uh, 25 years. 25 years is uh, quite a long time to do something like that, but to do something that's special and the life that you touch through that whole fellowship of Christian athletes. I mean, there's a program at UVA still exists. I did their golf tournament this summer and raised oh, money for them as well. So it's really a good program, but also, like I said, gives you the outlet, right? Other than, because all we do our life is sports. I mean, I don't care what you say, you got to live, eat and breathe if you can be good at it, but there's never an outlet for that. So I appreciate that opportunity to not commute with the one that you gave, but your, your, your 25 year service. That's, that's amazing. 
Yeah, well, I appreciate that, Ralph. It gave me the opportunity, and and I think be, having played at the high levels, being in the World Series, I you know for some period of time, for several years, I was the chaplain for the for the St. Louis Rams and also for the St. Louis Cardinals before I got into broadcasting. And so there were several years in there where wow. you know, you're dealing with young families trying to figure out the highest. You know that you know that feeling in that clubhouse. Yep, yep. The highest. I mean, it's it's fast pace. It's moving. You got people pulling you all over the place, and and to stay grounded is 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 i think supremely important and i think that's been part of our work rick you do such a great job on air and the way you handle teams and players and as i said it followed you from afar and just so glad that the broadcast bug bit and that you were able to uh you know to get in there and do it you study it and again top of the show we said you can't talk about the current lockout we get that but major league labor how do you perceive it and is there, I mean, is there a bright future for Major League Baseball just in regard to labor? Yeah, I think there is. Um, you know, one of the things I would I can say is that, you know, when I was playing, I was part of the as a team representative and a league rep. So so I kind of know from the inside that, you know, it's almost like a, just a necessary evil. You've got every four years, you've got this or whatever the time frame is a chance to say, OK, let's regroup and see if the system's working for us and for you. And so it's almost set up to be. I mean, it's business. And, and unfortunately, because it's a professional sports business, it's out there and people are right. want to know, can I go to spring training or not? You know, right. is it, am I going to have a, a, a team to watch and I can, can I buy my season tickets? So, so the, the fan kind of does get caught in the middle, but, but I just, I just believe that the future's bright because the, the, the sport itself is still financially very, very good. And, you know, COVID of course is, had a adverse effect on everybody in terms of the bottom line, but, you know, baseball is a resilient sport. They've dealt with several things in the history of baseball, but it, it manages to come back. And I think it will again this time. And, and so I'm, I'm confident that, that, that something will get worked out. And, you know, there's uh, I think there's some history to prove that. Rick, we can't thank you enough. Wow. This was a lot of fun. And, uh, uh, you know, I appreciate Doug Elgin's email. And I said, you know, of all the people that we would want to talk to, and we, we forget more people than we know, but I'll never forget how gracious you were to a young broadcaster in the early eighties. I was in Atlanta, uh, a Virginia football guy. And I go, there's this guy, Rick Horton. I'd really like to meet. I'd like to do a story <laughs> on him. And uh, that was one way to get a pass too. So it was, you know, the, the ability to get, to get on the field, but Jack Buck did something special for my dad at that time. And I met him the night before at, at dinner and it was just a whole, that, that 24, 48 hours was, was pretty, pretty good. So Rick Horton, you were a part of that, you know, a young guy breaking in, you were, you were part of that. So I can't thank you enough. Well, that's very, very kind of you to say that. And, and, and I, you know, I do want to say one more time about my just Virginia experience as it relates to broadcasting. My partners have an expression. Anytime somebody comes into a game, let's say Ryan Zimmerman or, mm-hmm. or Chris Taylor, guys that played at UVA, yeah, yeah. they'll look at me and they'll say it on the air or on TV. They'll say, I know Rick, he went to Virginia. Because <laughs> <laughs> they know that I'm going to bring, it up. bring yeah. it up. Very proud of it. Of my association with the, with Virginia, of course, uh, going on 40 years, I've been married to, uh, to Ann, who I met there at, at college and grateful to have so many friends from there. And, and I include you two guys in that. So time to be with you. Very special. Former Cardinal, former Dodger, and now with the St. Louis broadcast team, he is Rick Horton. Also, I would be remiss if I didn't say former Cavalier. Ralph Sampson and I come back on Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network after this.
Hi, this is Mac McDonald, host of Center Court. I've known Ralph Sampson for over 40 years. I watched him grow as a basketball player, achieving greatness at the University of Virginia and at the professional level. I always admired his work ethic and the things he did to be the best. Since he founded the Sampson Family Foundation, so many people, young and old, have benefited from Ralph's efforts. The mission for the foundation is simple, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. If you'd like to learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift, empower, educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. This is Center Court on the Winter Circle Network and a wonderful visit with Ricky Horton. I first met him because he left Virginia right before I got there in 1980. But the following, I don't know, a couple of years, it might have been 1984, uh, I was in Atlanta, got a press pass, and I had a chance to visit with him before an Atlanta Braves series, uh, because I remember I was doing a, a piece on Ricky Horton because he was a Virginia baseball guy making good. And, uh, and Ricky just climbed and climbed and has become just a dynamite broadcaster. And just, you know, with the fellowship of Christian athletes, he's done so many good things. So I'm just so glad we had a chance to share some time with Ricky because uh, he, he knows the game like the back of his hand, Ralph. And he's just a he's a good visit. Oh, yeah. Re really great, great guy. And uh, I mean, the stuff he does with fellowship with Christian athletes. I mean, it's, you know, just the things he's done, not only for his career, but also after his career as well. And the things he's doing today are just like a Hall of Famous type stuff. Right. So. Uh, great guests and uh, loved his uh, demeanor and conversation and this thing that he can talk about with the game of baseball in the sense that, you know, St. Louis Cardinals was one of my favorite teams in baseball. And this is a little stint there and this is overall view of what life in the sports world means. I think it's very special. I forgot to ask you, have you ever been the top of the arch? I have. Yeah. No, it, it's not that tall now. It's not, you know, it's, it's not, yeah, I've been but, there once. But uh, you can feel it move, right? In the wind? I can feel it move. And it's kind of, it's kind of weird. It's not like going to the, the Washington Monument or no, you know, going to New York no. to one of the towers up there. Right. This one's a little weird. This is like claustrophobic yeah. a little bit. And, but I've been once. I've been once. Well, coming up on Thursday, we do it again. I want to give uh, Mass Nutton a plug, give you a plug, because your virtual basketball clinics have been really popular. And you can go to the Mass Nutton website. I think I've got that correct. And you can log on and you can find out how to join us on Thursday night at 630 um, next week. OK, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, just looking forward to, uh, to, you know, talking basketball again. It's a it's a really a good time. Yeah, Mac, those virtual clinics have been fun. We do them now once a month for the next number of months that we get to our clinics in the summer. Great Mass Nut and Resort. Uh, you go to MassNutandResort.com and just Google uh, the, uh, once you get on the search, Google the clinics. It's virtual. Sign up. And uh, we'll talk basketball. Me and Mac host it. We do a great job doing that. And then we show some video of how to play the game and really break it down into different segments where you can understand and take back home and play and practice and get your game to another level. What I love though, is when you're teaching is to have the kids and they're demonstrating what you are teaching 
and you've always got a great bunch of kids who are doing everything that you, well, 90% of what you tell them to do, but they're, it's really a lot of fun to watch their skills develop as far as the clinics are concerned. Yeah. The great thing, Mike, now those kids I've had uh, for, for a while, the last year, and they've been in some of our virtual virtual stuff as well, but also training on the court. And now they end up playing in their high school season and some of them are doing it very well. So I yeah. can't complain and hopefully they continue to do that. All right. Looking forward to it. I'll see you Thursday night. It's that simple. Absolutely. Join us. All right, Stick. For Ralph Sampson, I'm Mac McDonald, and that's Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winter Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with privacy mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course, present my thoughts the way I want. Right again! Now, you're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh! There it is. Drawing board or Miro. Our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's one. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.